Well, we're in part two today of our current message series, Strong Faith for Confusing Times. We're kind of plowing through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, today it might seem that we're not really in Habakkuk very much, but believe me, we will be because we're going to bounce back and forth between Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Martin Luther, uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, in this message, we need to kind of take two texts, two different Bible texts in the Bible, and, and bring them together because one is the key to the other. And we're going to start with this first one you'll see on the screen. And I just want to thank Anthony. Anthony had all these great Savior silhouettes from the book of Habakkuk, including a few more I've asked him to make. And it, 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 what a blessing, because I can say, Anthony, do you have this one? He goes, no, but I can do it. And about an hour later, I get it in my, in, my email box. But here's the very first one. And this comes from Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, I just want you to note that part of that passage there, it says, Paul writes, just as it is written, that means he's quoting someone else. And who he's quoting is from the Old Testament. He's quoting the book of Habakkuk. Here's the second one of the Savior's silhouettes. This is what it says in the book of Habakkuk. But the righteous will live by his faith. Now, everyone agrees that that little verse right there is probably the central key, the most important verse in this whole little three-chapter book of Habakkuk. And it's certainly one of the most crucial Bible verses you can find. And it's so important that this little verse in the Old Testament finds itself repeated three more times in the New Testament. We've already seen one of them in the book of Romans. But Paul also quotes it when he's writing to the Galatians in Galatians 3.11. And then he also writes it in the book, or whoever writes the book of Hebrews, which we just finished. It's there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. So that little verse is very important, very important. The just shall live by faith. But I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, first changed a man, and then that man literally changed most of the world at this time. Now, I don't know how many of you know uh, who Martin Luther was, uh, some people ask what kind of a church or what kind of thing we run out at Restore. I say, well, it's a, mission, it's a missional community, but we are affiliated with the Lutheran Church. Well, maybe you know the story of Martin Luther, maybe you don't. At one time, he was a rather obscure uh, Roman Catholic monk. Uh, he attended the monastery, and he was somehow trying to set himself free from this heavy burden of guilt that he somehow felt. In fact, it said he used to kind of whip himself in his little room at night, hoping that God would see this and would somehow approve of him. So he was very obedient to the Catholic Church. He followed all of the rules, did everything he was told to do. Uh, he, but he never found any rest in his, all of his prayers. He would fast for days on end. He would do every bit of penance that he was required to do. Uh, but he, his eyes were opened one day when he happened to open up a Bible. And as the old story says, it was kind of like chained to the wall because they had very few Bibles in that day. And his eyes fell on Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And reflecting back on 
this text in his life, let me read you what he wrote. He said, when by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, I felt born again, a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. Imagine a Bible verse. I almost picture that big Bible opening and as like big glowing things, like there was a big spotlight on it. And Luther was just dumbfounded. Dumbfounded. Well, that's a very interesting thing about Luther. Now, when Luther found this text, or more accurately, I guess we could say, when this text found Luther, it literally just turned his whole life upside down. Uh, No longer was he willing to be a a very simple little monk living in this little Catholic uh, monastery. But once this blazing truth of what we would call justification or being made right by faith gripped his soul, it kind of lit a fire in Luther that not only changed him, but it eventually changed virtually everything across the world, and at least in the known world at this time. Yet this little phrase, the just shall live by faith, comes almost as an aside here in the book of Habakkuk. It just kind of pops out of the middle of nowhere because in Habakkuk chapter 2, let me go back a week or so ago, in Habakkuk 1, Habakkuk is saying to God, how long are you going to let these heathen people around us kind of beat us up? When are you going to do something about it? Uh, And, of course, God says, yeah, I've got a plan. Uh, The plan is um, in 70 years I'll take care of it. But then he kind of tosses this little Bible verse out and he says, but the just will live by faith. So in Habakkuk, God is pronouncing judgment on the Babylonians. I mean, these are evil, wicked, bad, nasty people. They're arrogant. They're bloodthirsty. They're ruthless. They would kill people without remorse. They would stack skulls in the middle of the town square. They would run guys out of town with hooks through their cheeks. I mean, they were just nasty people. And so they got about 70 more years left to loot Uh, to rob, to kill, to plunder uh, nations. But their end is determined, but it won't happen for a long time. Now, you can imagine, if you were praying, if you were Habakkuk, and you said, Lord, how long is this going to take? Don't worry, I got it. Seventy more years. (laughs) Say what, God? (laughs) Could you do it in seven minutes? Could you do it in seven seconds? So the question kind of comes to mind here. What do you do while you watch bad guys steal and kill and behead their enemies? Or if we put it into 2022, what are you going to do while well, everything seems around us being going, like going to hell in a handbasket? We've got all kinds of problems like inflation. We've got all kinds of disease problems. We've got all kinds of you name the nonsense that's going on in our world today. What do you do until God decides to act? Well, the answer is, the just shall live by faith. So what do you do when evildoers get elected? Hey, the just shall live by faith. What do you do when your prayers seem to be all unanswered? Well, the just shall live by faith. What do you do when all of the hopes and dreams you've ever had in life suddenly kind of go down the drain and turn to ashes? The just shall live by faith. See, when all you see is trouble, uh, the righteous man remembers that God is still on his throne. There's still dark clouds around. 
But the man or woman of God says, but the just shall live by faith. Now, how much did Habakkuk know about Martin Luther? Well, the answer is zero. Uh, He knew nothing about the upcoming Protestant Reformation. But he understood these words in the context of his own time, even as we have to take these words and understand them in the context of today, 2022. See, it was more than 600 years later from Habakkuk that moved Paul to write these words also in Romans and in Hebrews and on and on and proved that the gospel was no just a modern-day Innovation. It was already starting back in the Old Testament. And then 1,500 more years after that, Luther found rest for his soul when he opened up the Bible and saw Romans 1.17, the just will live by faith. Now, like I said before, that little verse changed Luther's life. Now, I can't say this exactly the same thing, but I think when I finally understood that no matter how good I might be, and I wasn't always very good, when I finally understood that my goodness was not going to change God's mind about where I'm going to end up someday, and I found out that it was only by faith in Jesus Christ that it changed my life as well. I mean, Romans 1.17 again, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness is that by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Let me talk about a few things that this means, why the gospel is so powerful. Let's take a look at number one. It reveals a righteousness that comes not from you, but it comes from God. The change in your life is not because you decided, it's because God came into your life and changed your life. Now that word righteousness uh, comes from the courtrooms back in ancient days. It means to declare not guilty. So we could say... The gospel says you're not guilty. John 3.16, God so loved the world. Righteousness. You were not guilty. See, the gospel provides us with everything that we could not do on our own. On our own, we all stand condemned. I mean, how many people here, you raise your hand. There's not that many people, you're not going to embarrass yourself. But how many of you here today would say, I'm good enough to go to heaven on my own? Well, good. That's a good reply. Otherwise, I have to change part of my sermon here <laughs> and hammer out a little bit of law this morning. See, if you're right, if you are righteous in God's eyes, uh, you could say that. If you are righteous in God's eyes, you can say not guilty. See, the gospel provides us what we ourselves could never provide. On our own, we all stand condemned. Now, as someone once said, it's kind of an odd quote: "A clear conscience." is the result of a poor memory. You ever think you, you have made? Yeah, you got a poor memory. I mean, the moment I ever say, yeah, I've done pretty good, and all of a sudden my memory takes me back to when I was in high school. <laughs> no, you weren't. No, you weren't. Uh, the only people who think they're good enough to go to heaven are the people who don't really know how bad they really are. Now, righteousness is what we need, but do not have. Uh, Therefore, God, knowing that we could never be righteous on our own, did something about it. He provided a righteousness for us that comes down from heaven in the person of Jesus. It's not earned, it's not deserved, but it's given to us purely as a free gift. 
Now, the reformers, and by reformers, the people who lived back in the days of Martin Luther in the 14 and 1500s had a term for this. They called it alien righteousness. Now, that term alien means from another place. For example, when uh, I've been overseas teaching in India or Nigeria or Brazil or Russia, uh, I'm an alien. I'm not from that place. I'm an outsider. So to say that we are saved by this alien righteousness means that we're saved by a righteousness that comes from a whole nother place. It comes not from within us, but it comes from outside of us entirely. Now, where can a, a guilty sinner find righteousness from another place? Well, he finds it in Jesus Christ. That's the alien righteousness that saves guilty sinners. And that's why later we're going to sing some of these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So that here, let's get to our second reason here why uh, the gospel is so powerful. Second of all, the righteousness from God is received only by faith. And the key word here is faith. Our text says righteousness is received by faith from first to last. Everyone who is saved is saved the same way. It's faith alone and it's faith always. So how can you and I be right with God? Well, the answer is simply by receiving that alien righteousness that comes from another place, that comes from God only by faith. Do you believe I can save you? Yes, Lord. Where else am I going to look? Because I can't do it myself. I can't trust anyone else. You're the only one that I can trust. See, we need this because whether you realize it all the time or not, we're all in the same boat. I don't know if you know what that boat is called. It's the USS Sin. Uh, it's not necessarily the USSS, but uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 22 and 23 talks about there's no difference because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I like that verse because it says there's no difference. In other words, there's no difference between um, uh, rich people or poor people. There's no difference between young or old or black or white or male or female. We all stand condemned because all of us are under the judgment of God. See, our sins may not be exactly the same. I don't know what your sins are. Uh, every day I do a devotional activity that I write down A-C-T-S. And I have some scriptures I study like every day. And... And as I look at these scriptures, uh, pulling out the A for adoration, what can I praise God for? That's pretty easy. Now, you, God, you are the creator. God, you are the blesser. You are the redeemer. And then I get down to the C, which is confession. I always skip that for some reason right away because I find it really easy to get down to the T and write down what I'm thankful for. And I write down all kinds of things. And then down at the end, the S, supplication. I have all kinds of stuff I want to pray. But then I'm stuck having to go back to that C, looking at those scriptures. And acknowledge who I really am. It's like suddenly the mirror turns on that page and I'm looking at myself. Where by God's word have I fallen short that day, that week, that hour, that minute? That helps me understand the rest of it. And God says, yes, that's exactly who you are. But yet, remember who you said I was? I am the God who heals all your diseases. That's why you adore me. 
fatigue. That's why you can be thankful, because you have been saved by grace, through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us boast. And now what can you pray? Lord, now that I know that, make me thankful and help me share that with as many other people as I possibly can. See, we're all in the same boat, though. And guess what? The boat has sprung a huge leak. If God doesn't do something, we're all going down. See, we have a big problem with this because deep down inside, I think most of us still, we secretly kind of think that we can kind of make God happy with us. I think we all fall prey to that from time to time. We all think if we just kind of try a little harder or do our best or clean up our act or play by the rules or uh, treat people a little bit different, then maybe God will, um, okay, you're good enough, come on up here. Uh, But friends, only Jesus was holy and perfect. None of you are. None of us is. He never sinned. Never, ever, no, not ever. Though he was tempted, never gave in. All of us fall so far short that we cannot even be compared to Jesus. Uh, He's the only righteous man who ever walked the face of the earth. And guess what? We crucified him. We crucified him. His reward for doing God's will was death on a bloody Roman cross. So here's the wonder of grace. From the murder of a perfect man came God's plan to rescue the imperfect human race. So if you want to go to heaven, you just need to learn a little lesson. Uh, God doesn't make deals with sinners. I'm looking at sinners this morning. God doesn't make any deals doesn't make any deals. If you come to God on the basis of your good works, you're going to be turned away because you missed the mark of 100% perfection. We'll never be 100% perfect. But if you come to God on the basis of the righteousness that was provided to us by Jesus on the cross, you're accepted. Now, there's a third reason here, and here's reason number three. By the righteousness in the gospel, men and women are declared just in the eyes of God. And to prove this point, Paul included a quotation from Hebrews which said what? The just shall live by faith. It was this text quoted by Paul in Romans 1.17 that ultimately shook Martin Luther to the core and brought him to saving faith in Jesus. Now I want to read a little bit of a letter that was written by his son, uh, Dr. Paul Luther. He wrote this in 1544. He said, Early this year, 1544, my late dearest father, in the presence of us all, narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome. He acknowledged with great joy that in that city, through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, he had come into the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel. It happened this way. As he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase, and by the way, he would, the big long staircase going all the way up, he'd stop and pray on every stair step. He said, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind, the just shall live by faith. Thereupon he ceased his prayers, returned to Wittenberg, and took this as, his, as the chief foundation of all of his doctrine. So he was going to walk those stairs and pray on each one because he felt like God would like him better 
But as he's going up those stairs, suddenly Habakkuk comes to mind. And he gets off of those stairs and goes home. That's where a little Latin term comes from called sola fide. Now, if you were raised Lutheran, you already knew that, which means by faith alone. See, it's faith alone. It has nothing to do with the works of the law, how many commandments you keep or don't keep. It's faith alone. It's not by obedience to the church or a particular church. It's faith alone, not by your human righteousness. It's faith alone. Really, you know, baptism is a great sign that you actually do believe it, but just being baptized, you know, we can do all kinds of things with that. It's by, not by good intentions. It's faith alone, uh, not by acts of charity. It's faith alone plus nothing and minus nothing. So what does it mean to have faith alone in this sense? Well, probably, if we give you an example, it might mean what it means to believe a doctor when he says you need surgery. You need to you probably figure out, I better I can have faith with this person. Or if you know what it means to step onto an airplane and you trust the pilot, you know what it means to have faith that this thing's going to get off the ground and land again someplace. Uh, it means that if you it, it kind of <clears throat> understand that uh, you ask a lawyer to plead your case in court, uh, you know what it means to have faith in somebody who's going to speak on your behalf. So faith is complete reliance upon another person to do that which you could never, ever do yourself. So the question is, just how much faith does it take to get to heaven? How much faith does it take to get to heaven? Well, as someone said, the answer is not much and all you've got. <laughs> not much. It doesn't take much faith, but it takes all the faith you have. So if you're willing to trust in Jesus, I think we sang about that before, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus with as much faith as you have. And the Bible even says if you got it like a, what, a mustard seed, you can be saved. But if you're holding anything back, you know, thinking somehow that maybe you need to still do something... I'd say forget it. See, saving faith is putting your trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And in order to do that, you got to stop trying to save yourself. See, believing Jesus uh, means trusting Him so much that if He can't take you to heaven, you're not going. Uh, if Jesus can't take me to heaven, then I'll never make it because... I know who I am. I don't have a plan B. <laughs> He's the only plan I got to get to heaven. Now, sometimes people have said, uh, don't put your eggs, uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, I think it's okay to put your eggs all in one basket if the basket is labeled Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the only basket I got. See, let me say it plain as I can. There is good news and there's bad news here in these texts. The bad news, I'm going to give you the bad news first, and that is you have no other hope of Jesus, out, you have no other hope of heaven outside of Jesus. Good works cannot save you. Uh, church membership cannot save you. Uh, baptism cannot save you. Giving money cannot save you. Keeping the Ten Commandments cannot save you. Nothing you can do will make an ounce of difference concerning your final salvation. If you are trusting in your good life or in your religion or the fact that you belong to a certain kind of church to get to heaven, 
someday you will be sadly and eternally disappointed. So what's the good news? The good news is those people who sing songs like Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, those who put their trust in Jesus are saved forever. That's the real meaning of the just will live by faith. Now I said before, we're all in the same boat. Uh, We're all sinners desperately in need of God's grace. But see, Jesus' death, his suffering on the cross, provides the full payment for all of our sins. What we could not do for ourselves, God did for us through the death of his son. So the only thing left, really, is to believe in him. And, you know, I don't know how many times I ever said this. uh, You know, sometimes what we need to do at the end of a service, everybody needs to run up to the cross and hang on to it. Because that's the only place where we have salvation. To turn from our sin, to lay down our self-will, to lay hold of God, the Son of God who loves you and died for you, to throw yourself completely on Jesus for your salvation. See, it all comes down to this. It's just six simple words. The just shall live by faith. And prayerfully, that's the message we continue to preach here at Restore, the text that changed the world. And it all started with Habakkuk.